Hi, this is Jill Harrison, Executive Director of the National Institute on Aging Impact Collaboratory at Brown University. Welcome to the Impact Collaboratory Grand Rounds podcast. We're here to give you some extra time with our speakers and ask them the interesting questions that you want to hear most. If you haven't already, we hope you'll watch the full Grand Rounds webinar recording to learn more. All of the companion Grand Rounds content can be found at impactcollaboratory.org. Thanks for joining. Good afternoon again. Um, we're back after the wonderful presentation by Ellen Tambor and her colleagues from the Impact Collaboratory uh, Stakeholder Engagement Team. And um, Ellen, that was just terrific. And I was wondering, um, for those of us who are researchers who are engaged in this uh, in this kind of work, if you could just sort of comment on um, the level of contribution and how it is that um, stakeholders uh, from the People, people living with dementia and their care partners, how, how are they engaged in this process of advising researchers in particularly the construction of methodological uh, uh, decisions around how to do a particular kind of pragmatic trial? Sure. So I think that the, the engagement of any stakeholder, and, and that includes people living with dementia, um, comes before a, a, a trial has even begun in making sure that the research questions that are being studied are really um, important to um, people living with dementia and other stakeholders. And um, a lot of times um, they will contribute to, in addition to what's the most important um, study questions, what are the most important outcomes to measure in, in pragmatic trials, um, and then I think in terms of once a project is underway um, and, and advising, continuing to advise the research team, it really varies across the um, scope of the project. So um, early on, we usually have stakeholders doing things like reviewing study materials that are going to be uh, used by participants, um, things like informed consent forms commenting on the details of the study protocol and how people living with dementia are going to be involved in the study to make sure that what's being asked of them is not too burdensome or what's being asked of caregivers is not too burdensome. And then certainly once the a study begins to have some results, it, stakeholders can contribute a lot to thinking about um, what's important from those research findings to people living with dementia, what sorts of messages um, are going to be important to disseminate. And I'll, I'll pause there and see if that answered your question. Gary, do you have anything you'd like to add? I would just emphasize the portions that Ellen said about uh, feasibility and acceptability, uh, particularly for the stakeholders who uh, have cognitive impairment or are caregivers. They will want the research to um, be e easy to participate in, um, you know, specifically regarding your methods question. And I didn't know if you were asking a separate methods question about the engagement itself, or if, the, if your question was about um, stakeholders contributing to the investigators' methods. I was actually asking about the latter since I'm a researcher and I was, that was, but I would love to hear your comments on the former. Uh, Ellen, that's a lot of what you presented. Do you want to uh, kick off that answer and then I'll um, join as well? 
Sure. And, and would you rather that um, this answer be focused on methods for engaging people living with dementia or just engagement methods more broadly? So I think for dementia, to the extent that you, the two of you can, uh, you may want to talk more broadly, Alan, and then Gary can speak to the specific issues around dementia. Okay, that sounds good. Um, so in terms of approaches, approaches to engagement, I think um, it's obviously a, a, a rapidly evolving field, but I think we've learned a lot over the last um, decade or so about um, what, what works best and um, just some basic principles of effective engagement, things like um, being sure to allow time to form relationships between um, members of the research team and stakeholders and um, making sure that stakeholders are really adequately prepared, that they have um, any sort of training and orientation they need to be able to contribute fully. And um, I could go into a lot of detail about different engagement methods, but I, I think it, it's very dependent on the both the particular study, um, the phase of the research, what's being asked of the stakeholders. So, you know, the type of engagement method you use at any given time is based on a lot of specific factors. Great. Gary, how about is there any specific things that are more complicated or difficult in the, in the context of uh, persons living with dementia, engaging them? Ellen addressed a lot of this in um, the Grand Rounds and, and addressed it really well, um, drawing from work that Lori Frank led um, reporting in the American Journal of Geriatric Psychiatry regarding a group of people living with cognitive symptoms who provided input to the 2017 uh, NIA Research Summit on Dementia Care. And the best practices that grew from there were have a lot of face validity, that uh, people want to feel included even though they have diverse capacities and um, not feel that they're sort of over, there's excessive accommodation to them. It's sort of a person-centered approach to supporting people by providing easy materials to go through, extra time when needed, opportunities for them to ask questions, um, but also an acceptance that for people with mild symptoms, they uh, can function as independent people anywhere would, um, be, would, would want to respectfully be engaged in a dialogue, um, so to not be um, patronizing or excessively accommodating. Uh, and for family members, um, there was a very nice comment today from uh, Sue Borson about how um, caregivers have different perspectives uh, over the natural progression of a uh, disease of their loved one. So I think investigators being sensitive to the multiple responsibilities that caregivers have and that um, participation in a research project being on top of those uh, and um, making adjustments over time uh, would be particularly important for, for family caregivers. Great, okay, thank you. Um, so a uh, related question from one of, our, one of the people from the audience and says, what, ask when forming advisory committees for pragmatic trials, do you recommend offering compensation for their uh, participation, some kind of honorarium? Alan, what do you think? I think um, I, I think it's become the accepted norm that when you're um, involving stakeholders, you 
um, compensate them in some way for their for their time and effort. I think for other types of stakeholders, clinicians and policymakers, um, participating in things like advisory committees may just be part of their day-to-day job that they're compensated for anyway. But um, to involve um, patients and family members who have other responsibilities and are taking time out of their schedules to contribute to a project, it, it's really important to make sure that they're compensated. Great. Uh, thank you. So you talked a little bit in your presentation about work that you're going to be doing with the um, patient-centered outcome uh, group as one of our one of our cores in the impact collaboratory and that you'll be working with the alzheimer's association uh, in terms of uh, identifying individuals living with dementia and their care partners who will be selected as part of a lived experience panel how will those people be selected and uh, how long will they be engaged well i'll start off and then i'll let gary add to this one because he's probably thought more about it um but there's, we're using a, a process that the Alzheimer's Association has used for previous stakeholder panels in the past where um, they accept applications or nominations from people that are interested in participating. And then there's a process of going through those and having uh, one-on-one conversations, phone conversations with people that are interested. And so I, I'm not sure about more of the details of what the criteria are going to be for identifying who will be included other than the fact that they're really seeking a balance between earlier stage disease and then caregivers who are participating as proxy respondents for individuals with later stages of disease. Um, Gary, you might be able to add more detail to that. Sure. Um, We're preparing the front material right now, Vince. You'll, You'll likely see it before it goes live on the collaboratory website, and this will all be um, you know, doubly branded and vetted with the Alzheimer's Association regarding their best practices for the um, early stage advisory group that they've run for many years, um, people with uh, mild cognitive symptoms who provide input to um, the Alzheimer's Association. And there are other um, similar groups, but they really have the most experience. And when we send out the message, uh, it will be to invite people with cognitive symptoms, and then also these other two categories, um, family caregivers who are uh, representing their experience as a caregiver. And uh, what's unique about this group is this work we'll be doing will be specifically asking and training family caregivers to uh, function in a proxy role. So not representing themselves, but representing someone with later stages of illness who lacks the capacity to represent themselves. And when we make these selections, it will be for um, four persons from each perspective uh, and likely will be for one or two years that they will participate. And then there'll be a rotating process of including uh, new people as, as members rotate off. The primary criteria will be what Ellen described of making sure that we have uh, heterogeneity uh, from all perspectives and that uh, for people with cognitive symptoms uh, and the caregivers who are doing proxy responding, that they understand the specific asks to them. And there likely will be an interview process that follows an, an online application. Great. So uh, one last question. Um, the Alzheimer's Association, as well as presumably other projects that, such as the ones that uh, might emerge from the collaboratory pilots as they move into a broader 
um, uh, full-scaled embedded pragmatic trial. Let's assume they have a, stake, a stakeholder group that they've recruited early on. How do they cope with and what are the best practices or the advice around managing to sustain the input of individuals as their intellectual capacity and ability to interact and engage uh, deteriorates because of the advance of the disease? Ellen or Gary, whichever, whoever feels most Yeah, I, I think, Gary, if you don't mind, I think you probably are in a better position to take that one. Sure. It'll be case by case for that investigator, Vince. Um, they'll and and our team will provide guidance um, as as requested for for investigators. Um, you know, them having set up a supportive arrangement, um, the person with cognitive symptoms will her or himself likely be aware that it's becoming. Um, additionally taxing. And there would be other people who have uh, cognitive symptoms who are participating as stakeholders who um, will continue the efforts as there is a, um, a transition off. Um, something, something as simple as that. Okay. All right. That's great. Because these are all very subtle issues and uh, it's not the kind of thing that investigators normally think about, but uh, it is clearly an issue in this context. Alan, you were going to say? Oh, yeah. I was going to just add more generally. I think um, it really points to the need for, you know, we talked about the importance of establishing relationships with stakeholders and the research between stakeholders and the research team. I think in this this situation of working with um, people living with dementia, it just points to the need for an even closer relationship between the research team and um, stakeholders, and and certainly that's not um, you know the the top skill of every investigator. So I would think that it just requires some self awareness on the part of investigators that if that is not really something they feel they're going to be strong with, that they they bring somebody onto the team that really can um, focus on maintaining those relationships over time and checking in with people to see how they're doing and what their situation is and if they're struggling. Sage advice. Thank you very much. So Ellen uh, and Gary, thank you very much for your time. We appreciate it. I'm hoping um, we'll do this again next year. Thank you for listening to today's Impact Collaboratory Grand Rounds podcast. Please be on the lookout for our next Grand Rounds and podcast next month.